not wearing it yet. All right, you guys have your Bibles open up. Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to continue to work our way through the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, we want to remind ourselves, especially in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, we're dealing with a message from a father to his son, encouraging his son, exhorting his son to, in all the things he does, in all the pursuits of his life, to get wisdom. And we'll see in the first nine chapters, three personifications of wisdom. Three times wisdom will be described as a person. And one of the things that, that we believe as we look at it is the person who is wisdom is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning it lays out for us the idea that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. That He is the wisdom of God. And so we, as we look at it, we want to understand that. But then as this father is encouraging his son, he's also giving him little bits of wisdom. Hey, stay away from easy money. Stay away from, from, uh, from easy sex. Stay away from uh, um, the adulterous woman. We'll talk about that one a little bit tonight. He's going to give these ideas. But all of them are putting these areas in our life that can sometimes... Uh, draw us to lose our focus. Like, like um, I don't know, what, what cartoon is this? It's got the dog that's always running off after something shiny. You guys know what I'm talking about? No? Nobody? I'm the only one who's ever seen it. So, the, you know, they're, they're, he's focused on something, and all of a sudden, something's moving over here, and we're gone. You know, almost like Opie. So we'll just go with Opie for now. <clears throat> Everybody know who Opie is? No? All right, never mind. But the point is, the idea that we want to grasp is that's how we are as people. We are focused on the Lord. We're walking in the Lord, and then we see something shiny. And that shiny thing we see is usually in some way an entangling of sin with its ropes or tentacles out trying to snag us. And so the father to his son. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to remember as we look at the book of Proverbs, tradition tells us that these are the Proverbs of who? Solomon, right? So Solomon, we know some of these are Solomon, some of these are ones that he's going to pin, some of these are ones he's going to hear from other places that he's going to show us. <clears throat> but in the first nine chapters, it's a father speaking to his son. Is there any link we could make with Solomon that could be a father talking to his son? Like a man after God's own heart encouraging his son to be one too? To, to whatever he does to pursue this understanding and comprehension? So there's multiple lectures in the first nine chapters of a father to his son, encouraging his son. And we're going to take a look at Proverbs chapter 5 tonight. We'll read it together, and then we'll dive in. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. 
lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own will. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water flowing in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this evening, Lord, I pray, God, that your word would have its rightful place in our life. God, that we are men and women willing to submit ourselves to what your word declares. And as we do so, God, that we would allow you to effect change in our life, that our lives would begin to be conformed to your worldview, that our lives would begin to be conformed into the image of your Son, that we might rightly reflect characteristics of the God whom we serve. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we can receive instruction, that we can hear reproof, that we are men and women willing to repent, confess, and get our lives right with you, Lord. We pray, God, that you be glorified in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we have a man-to-man meeting. Meeting of the minds, father and son, and he's instructing his son. Now, there's a couple of things you're going to hear over and over and over again throughout this book, right? We've heard it multiple times. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Hear the things. Hear the lessons. Now, the father in this case says, listen to my wisdom. The, The father is saying, I have experience in this. Can you think of when David might have had experience with something like this? Where David might have had experience following the wrong footsteps to the wrong place that brought maybe a lot of pain and and frustration into his life. So when we consider that, he says, son, be attentive. Listen. And here's what he's called to do. Here's the admonition. First off, my son, my little one, the one I care about. He says, be attentive. Incline your ear. Point your ear toward me. One of the things that you might experience when you're out hunting, maybe you're following a muley. If a muley hears you, if a deer hears you, not only is he going to turn his head toward you, his ears point toward you. That's like radar. When the radar hits you, you're busted. That's over. 
The next thing you're going to see is a little bouncy deer going away. So this is what this father's saying to his son. Incline your ear to me. Listen. Pay attention. Be willing to be attentive to the wisdom that I'm sharing with you. For what purpose? Two things. That you would keep discretion. The idea behind keeping, guys, is this concept that you would treasure, that you would value discretion. Discretion is understanding the difference between good and evil. Understanding, let's put it in another category, because we've been working on this category in Proverbs. There are two paths we can take, right? Didn't God lay that out for the children of Israel? One was the path of life, and the other, path of death, right? One was a path of blessing, the other was a path of cursing. You see it over and over and over again through Proverbs. So you want to keep discretion. You want to treasure the ability to understand that you're on the right path. Am I on the right road? How can I know I'm on the right road? I I wear my voice out in counseling, trying to encourage people to make decisions based on what the Word of God says. And it it never fails that at whatever point the discussion will move to how I feel or how angry or frustrated I am or a lot of different things that you can make decisions based on. But what the father is calling his son here is to hold on, treasure, guard, discretion. Where does that come from? The knowledge of which, which path to take. It comes from the Lord. Where do we find that today? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times where God won't speak to us and God won't direct us, but probably 90% of the answers we're going to look for are written in, in relatively plain English in the Scripture laying on our laps. What should I do, Lord? What do I need to do in this situation? God's Word is telling us. And so the, the key to the inclining of the ears and the paying attention to wisdom is this idea, treasure, hold on to discretion, and then finally, guard knowledge. That your lips may guard knowledge. Hold on. How do we do that? The 119th Psalm said, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your word. The 119th Psalm said, This is how we know our path. This is how we know the way we're supposed to walk. So what is it that that David would write in the 119th Psalm? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now let's just change the words a little bit. Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might know which path to walk. Isn't it the same thing? That I might know which way to go. That I might be led by your spirit. That I might follow your ways. Now, as soon as he gives this, okay, son, here's what you need to focus on. You need to focus on this idea, inclining your ear, being attentive, treasuring or valuing discretion, and guarding your knowledge, which is all found in the Word of God. Then in verse 3, he moves right into the lesson. And here's the truth. Here's the shiny thing. Here's the distracting thing. He says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So he gives us first, he, he gives us the word for. Okay, here's why I want you to hold on to discretion. Here's why I want you to hold on to knowledge. Here's why I want you to listen to my wisdom. Here's the argument. Sin's going to sound good. It's going to look smooth. 
The path is downhill. It looks like a better way to go. Everything is going to want to pull your attention to the path that is not leading to life. So son, now even more so guys, even more so, and we're going to talk about the adulterous woman and we'll talk about sexual immorality, but keep in mind when we look at Scripture, when Scripture talks about the adulterous woman, it is usually focused on this act, unfaithfulness. And you and I are unfaithful to God in a myriad of ways. So although our sin may not look like the sin that this young man is falling for, it doesn't matter because God views all of it as unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to Him. Not coming or looking toward the Lord. So He says, this path, it looks smooth. It looks sweet. It's going to be good. Look, nobody would ever fall for sin if it looked like what it was actually going to do. Would they? Oh, look at this. There's a, there's a pathway full of buzzsaws and chainsaws all running, and I'm pretty sure I can't fit in it, and if I get close, it's going to chop my arms and legs off. I'm going to go that way. Yeah, nobody would do that, right? That's not how it looks. That's not how it's painted. It's painted as something that we think we want. But look what it says in verse 4. But, the word but, strong contrast, in strong contrast to looking sweet and smooth, in the end she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. So you think it's going to be this smooth path, but look, two-edged sword does a lot of damage. And wormwood is like gall. It's like a, a a bitter, very slow-acting poison. It doesn't kill you, just make you sick. So you, you have this, this idea, oh, it's going to be so sweet. Not so sweet. Bitter, and it makes me sick. And then you have this idea, oh, it's going to be smooth. Not so smooth. Two-edged sword. Every time I, I get close, I'm getting cut. That's the picture that the father is painting for his son. He wants them to understand. Now, Proverbs 14, 12, guys, it's going to come up over and over again as we look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. There is a path that looks good. That looks good. But the problem is, guys, as soon as I've turned off my ears, I have no, I'm no longer inclining my ears toward the Lord. As soon as I don't keep discernment, as soon as I'm not guarding knowledge, I've let go of the Word of God, I've let go of this, I'm distracted, I'm looking over here, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that's not the way of life. Isn't that what the Word says? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, that road leads to where? Death. So is it the way of God? The way of God is a way of life, right? Life, over and over God says, I said before you, blessing and cursing, life and death. I only ask this, choose life. I can see where your road goes. And you might think you're doing right. But if you're not basing your choices and decisions on the Spirit of the Lord and the Word of God, then how do you, how, what, by what are you basing them? There's a way that seems right to a man. Be careful. That's not the road that we want to walk. Look at the consequences we see in beginning in verse 5. Look at the consequences of being distracted, leaving the word behind, going after <clears throat> sin. It says, her feet go down to death. Where does that road lead? 
death, right? Death, guys, is, is just being in the absence of God. <clears throat> God is life. Jesus Christ said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the... He said, I am the resurrection and the... He never once said, hey guys, follow me, I'm the way of death. Now, is it a different path? For sure. Why? Because we give up our lives to find them. Right? But it's not the same thing. Where's the road go? Life. Nobody's ever lost their life in the Lord. They found it. And so this is what the Word is declaring. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. The word Sheol in Hebrew is the same as the word Hades in, uh, in Greek. It is properly the abode of the dead. It would have been viewed by people of the time, not only as a grave, but the place where the disembodied dead lived. Kind of how we would picture hell. Okay? So they would have pictured it. This is the place. Sheol is the place where you went if you weren't with God. Okay? So if you're not with God, Sheol. So, so think about where these things are going. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Every choice has a consequence. Every turn on the road of life that we take takes us to something, by something, through something. And as we look at those things, we really want to incline our ear, right? Don't you want to hear if the Holy Spirit is telling you, Stop! Don't we want to keep discernment? And guard knowledge, don't we want to hold on to the Word of God? So if the Word of God very clearly tells me, hey, this road that you're on right now is the way to death, I want to stop, don't I? But if I let all that stuff go, there's no end to what can occur. The path is a way of death, not life. Her steps go to the grave. Verse 6, she does not ponder the path of life. She could care less. She's not promising you life. She don't care about life. She is not heading in the same direction. It says, her ways wander and she doesn't know it. The path she's on. Look, if you are living a life apart from God, why do you, what's, what's morality? What justification do I have for anything? Do what you want. There's a whole of the law. Apart from God, that's reality. Just do it. Do what feels good. Live life however you want to live it. But the Word of God says it's a wandering path leading to destruction. And they don't even know that the path they're on is just wandering to and fro. Once we take God out of the equation, we've talked about this before, what we're left with is absurdity. If everything goes, and every, people will often say everything goes except whatever I don't like. That doesn't go. The problem is you can't get enough people together to decide what that thing is. So in that case, might makes right, and that's how we decide our morality. We don't want to follow that path. We don't want to go that way. She doesn't even know the path that she's, that she's on is a lost path, is a lost way. We don't want to follow somebody that's like that. If the blind follow the blind, both fall into a ditch. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, you are blind leaders of the blind. That's what he told the Pharisees. You're trying to take people to a place you don't know how to get there. 
Why? Because you're on the path that leads to destruction. You're not on the path of life. You're not following God's way. You're following your own way. So the encouragement is to hold fast, to not let these things happen. Guys, I can't even tell you. I'm sure you've experienced it. Maybe you've worn out your own voice trying to tell somebody, hey, God's word says this. You really shouldn't do that. Only to have it be ignored. And then later on, hey, how come my life is all sideways, Jackie? I don't know, man. You've been trucking down the wrong road for a while. Now, can we change our path? Sure. It's simple, right? We need to hear the reproof of God. I made a bad decision. I, uh, that's okay. We confess our sin, we repent of our sin, and we get on the right path. Yeah? Okay, Lord, I'm following you. But if we continue to, to make the same mistakes, life is so frustrating. That's why the Father is telling His Son, hold on to wisdom. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to the attributes of God. If you want to know if, if a person, place, or thing is something that is good or bad for you, just consider the attributes of God and see if those attributes are being reflected by whatever you're trying to do. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. Galatians 5.22 has got a great list, don't it? That's a good place to start. What is it called? The fruit of the Spirit. This reflection of the character of God seen in our life. Well, the lesson goes on in verse 7. And look how he, he now he, he, he spreads his attention. Rather than just focusing on one son, he's thinking of all his sons, grandsons, the ones to come. He says, and now, O sons, listen to me. <clears throat> Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far away from her and do not go near the door to her house. You ever known people to play around with sin? Like, oh, I, I didn't really go in, I just got close. I just did a drive-by. A sin drive-by. I went by really fast, you know, I don't think anybody saw me. But when we mess around like that, guys, here's the Word of God says that's not wisdom. Wisdom wants to stay far. Stay far away from those things that you know are in opposition to God. Stay far away from sin. So he repeats and expands his, his message. He broadens it to his other sons, but he still says the same thing. Listen, do not depart. Don't lose your way. Don't get off the road that you're walking. Stay away from her. Stay away from the, the, the lips that look sweet, but you find out later they're bitter. Stay away from the smooth path, because later on you find out it's a sharp two-edged sword. You find out that that path is not leading you the way you want to go. I was sharing with somebody earlier this week, and, and they were asking me how to, how to make decisions. How do I go about i got a, a major life decision to make, and, and I want to know how to make a good decision. And I said, well, why don't you start with this? What's your overall goal? Where, where are you trying to get? For example... If I'm trying to get to Hawaii, I don't want to go to Milwaukee. Does that make sense? But that's how some of us live our lives, right? Well, my overall goal is to get to Hawaii, paradise. But instead, on my way to paradise, I'm going to go to Milwaukee. Well, that, that's not in the right direction. It's not headed in the, in the right place. 
So when we're considering the way we make decisions and how we, we take uh, the events of our life and we order them, we got to say, what's my goal? What's my goal? Look, if your goal is not to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, to reflect Jesus Christ in the things you say and do, I can tell you this, you'll not hit the target. Right? But if I say, here's my goal, man, I want to look like Jesus, I want to act like Jesus, I want to go where, where God wants me to go. If I can keep that in my mind, keep my focus there, then I'm a man who has set his hands to the plow and is looking forward. Jesus said, no man who sets his hand to the plow and looking backward is fit for the kingdom of God. i got to be moving forward, heading toward what God has for us, what God is directing us to. So we don't want to get off the way. We want to stay away from her. We want to stay away from her door. Look at verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of the foreigner. Now here's what he's saying. We're back on consequences. What are the consequences of my sin? Now we can take this just like it's it's intended. He's, he's talking to a a young man who is running off with an adulteress. What are the effects? What are the consequences of that choice? That's what he's discussing. He says, well, you're going to give your honor to others. So all this idea of what you thought your family life was going to be, that just got put in a blender. Isn't that what the family looks like in America right now? Just been put in a blender. It's all ground up. Your honor is given to others. It's not focused in your family. You give your years to the merciless. Anybody ever found themselves at the mercy of someone else? Just simply because of decisions we made, things that we did. We find ourselves in a court system that, that really may, doesn't often care about justice, does it? Yeah, it's, it, it has a whole different idea how, how courts work. We're, we're giving our years to the merciless. We're impoverishing ourselves. How many men have done this to their families, leaving their wives? How many wives have done this to their families, leaving their husbands? That's exactly what the Bible's talking about. Well, let's take it out of that category and just make it sin. How many times have we run after sin only to see our families suffer? How many people struggling with substance abuse? How many people struggling with drug abuse? Is it, is it only them that is affected? Does our sin only affect us, or does that have wide-reaching ramification on our children, on our friends, on the people in our neighborhood? It touches everything. So what the what, that's right, ripples. Here's what the Word of God is saying. Guys, it's saying you give your honor to another, your years go to the merciless, and strangers, people you don't know, are stealing your strength. They're taking your strength away, and your labors... The thing you labor for to build the home, to build the family, that goes to somebody else. It doesn't go to you. It goes to somebody else. He's saying, son, if you follow this road, if you go down this road, this is what it does. What is it that sin does? It has, <clears throat> the Bible tells us the devil comes to rob, steal, and destroy. Maybe you think rob and steal are the same thing. Robbing is getting beat. Stealing is somebody picking your pocket. You get the difference? Like robbing is when somebody gets a pipe and beats you and takes what you got. 
Stealing's when they're sneaky about it. Rob, steal, destroy, takes life. And this is exactly the warning to his son. Guys, here's the deal. Your family loses. Your family lose. Things that ought to bless your family go to another. The idea is although sexual immorality may not lead to slavery, it will lead to this. Alimony, child support, broken homes, hurt, jealousy, lonely people, venereal disease. Does that sound like what God's talking about? It's destruction. All of these things go to another. Man, get your road right. How do I get my road right? I allow the Word of God to be my guide. Otherwise, what am I going by? What I think is right? Look, last time I checked what man thinks is right, a fella ate an apple. And all of us been suffering ever since, right? You guys don't remember that story? I'm not so sure we are capable of always making the right decision based on our feelings. I'm not sure we're capable of always making the right decision based on the facts. Once you have the facts, doesn't it require interpretation of the facts? And what if your interpretation is wrong? Could your, could, could your, your uh, explanation also be wrong? Well, we see it all the time. Don't we? Why do we have two uh, crazily different political views in our nation? Well, two main ones. There's probably a hundred. Why do we have all that? Everybody's looking at the same evidence. You know that, right? Two people looking at the same evidence. One guy comes up with the idea of Black Lives Matter. Another guy comes up with something totally different. But they're looking at the same evidence. They're not looking at different evidence. What are they doing? They're interpreting the evidence differently. Why? Why do we see that? Because mankind's reasoning has fallen. And unless his reasoning is committed to following the ways of God and being led by the Word of God, then what, what indication do we have that he can do well? Is there an, there's not even a guarantee if he tries to do that that he's going to do it right. Right? People have used the Word of God to, to justify all kind of crazy ideas. But those crazy ideas, just so you know, were inconsistent with a biblical worldview. If we allow the Bible to be and say what it should, we should be able to be on the path that we need to be on. Well, look what he says in verse 11. Okay, all our stuff goes away. Verse 11, and at the end of your life, you groan. You groan. I remember hearing people talk about the groaning when I was young. I, I had no idea the groaning that was coming. <clears throat> There's a lot of groaning in life. There's a lot of groaning over regret. You live long enough, you got regret. Things, choices you wish you had done differently. It says at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. You've come to the end of your life and you realize, I hated discipline. That's a way of saying I hated instruction. I hated the way that the Word of God called me to walk. I hated the walk of wisdom. I hated the path of life. He says also, my heart despised reproof. That's the idea of repentance. Does anybody like to be reproved? 
Do you like to be confronted and told what you're doing, what you're thinking, or, or, or uh, is wrong? Do we like that? I don't usually like that. It's a very uncomfortable place to be, right? But I don't want to have a heart that hates reproof. I want to have a heart that's quick to repent, to say, maybe I'm wrong. But like we studied on Sunday morning in the book of James, it says, where do wars and fights come from among you? What's the bottom line? Wars and fights come from among you. They come from your, you, me, my pride. They come from your pride. And we can either be men and women who say, you know what, I can receive reproof and repent of that and, and try to be humble, humble myself before the Lord, right? Because He gives, here, God resists the proud and does what? Gives grace to the humble, right? That's who we want to be. That's who we want to be. We don't want to have a heart that despises reproof. We don't want to have a heart that despises correction. Because the Bible says, guys, a fool despises correction. Now, what was the other thing the Bible said about a fool? A fool said what? A fool said in his heart, there is no God. That's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about a fool. A fool despises correction. I don't want to be, I don't want to follow that example. I want to be somebody who, who is willing to receive the correction of my Lord. In the book of Hebrews, it says, nobody endures chastening and, and thinks it's a great thing. Right? I never got a whooping from my dad where I said, oh, I'm so happy I could get a whooping today. I'm celebrating all the way to, to grabbing the belt and handing it to Pop. Nope, I didn't like it at all. But it was necessary. I don't like when God chastens me, when God corrects me, when God, through His Word, or when God brings somebody into my life that says, Jackie, we got to talk. Hey, I've seen this. It's not okay. I, I think this is wrong. And I can say, well, who are you to tell me such a thing? Or I can remember that God's word says every man's my teacher. Every man might have a word that I can understand. Maybe I should be like David and say, you know what? Maybe God's speaking through you. So let's go before the Lord so that I can repent. So that I can confess and ask the Lord, I don't want to have a heart of pride. I want to have a heart of humility. I want to receive correction. Listen to verse 13. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I make excuses. That's what we do best. We make excuses. Right? You know, this is wrong. Well, it, I'm the exception to that rule. Everybody somehow is the exception. Right? I tell people, you know, the Bible says do not be Unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. So probably not chase relationships with an unbeliever. Well, I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm the exception. So when I do it, it's all going to work out. And then you go, oh. Well, maybe your road's hard. I'm not saying God can't redeem it. God redeems everything. You get what I'm saying? But I make an excuse for not following, not taking the path that God's word tells me to take. Now I'm on a more difficult road. Now I'm on the path where the two-edged sword is, where the, where the wormwood is, right? It's bitter tasting. I, over and over and over again, I hear these kind of ideas. You know, hey, the Bible says you should not engage in, in uh, sexual behavior apart from marriage. Marriage is where God created sex to be enjoyed. 
The devil lies to you and say, just you can have it anywhere you want, anytime you want. Well, I know that's what the Bible says, Jackie, but I'm an exception. I can do all that stuff and it's not going to hurt me. Really? We all stained with baggage. Baggage we bring into current relationships from past choices. And if we had paid attention to our instructor, if we had listened to what God's Word had said, we wouldn't have that baggage. We wouldn't be dealing with those hurts or hang-ups or habits, right? If we had listened to what our instructor told us. Listen to what he says in verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Now here's the illustration of the Father's painting. A guy who's groaning at the end of his life. He's almost dead. And the very last phrase he says is, Now I'm standing before the assembled congregation to be judged for my sin. That's what he's talking about. I'm almost ruined. They're ready to, it's like the judge is ready to hammer the gavel. The judge is ready to declare guilty. That's, the, that's what he's describing. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation when they, where they would assemble in the city gates to try the cases, to try the people who had done wrong in their society. He says, man, I'm awaiting judgment from the masses. And so the father is saying to his son, man, this is not how you want your life to end. This is not how you want to live your life. Then he gives the positive, guys. Look at it in verse 15. He says, son, rather drink water from your own cistern. He's going to obviously apply all these things to marriage, to having a wife, to experiencing all these things that the forbidden woman promised you, but experiencing them in the right context. Now the illustration as we look at chapter 5 is all about sex. It's all about relationships, all about marriage or cheating and adultery and all of those things. That's what it's about. That's why he uses marriage. But it's no different than experiencing the good things of God in the proper context for which he gave them. You could substitute any event. Drink water from your own cistern. Live your life the way God's Word says. Follow His rules. Jackie, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I'm the exception. Look, if I learned anything in the last 52, some 53, how old am I, Kathy? Where are you at? I don't know. She'll have to remind me later. I'm so old I don't remember. That if I learned anything, I learned this. There are no exceptions. None. The wages of sin is death. Period. Always. Every single time. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own will. Should your springs be scattered abroad, the streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone. Look, in this story, God made a context for having a relationship with a woman or a woman having a relationship with a man. He made a context. He called that context marriage. And from marriage springs family. And from family springs hope. And all these good things that can come popping out of of living that life the way God has directed that that life should be led. So he says, this is the context wherein you can experience all the things that you're trying to get a shortcut 
to the, to the forbidden woman. You're trying to get a shortcut running to sin and finding satisfaction in a path that is not the path that leads to life. You jumped on the path to death. You're running headlong down the path where the bridge is washed out and you think you're going to get to life. And you're not. That path don't go there. The only way is to stop. Turn around. That's the word repent. And get on the right path. Drink from your own will. Drink from your own will. Don't, don't let all this water scatter on the streets. Don't drink water out of the puddles. You want to do that? I, I water my lawn every Sunday. I got ditch water. If you're thirsty, come by and have a big, deep drink out of the ditch. Anybody want my ditch water to drink? Uh, no, that'd be stupid. There's nothing good in that water, except for maybe for your grass. And I'm not sure it's good for my grass. Half my grass is dead. So we don't want to drink. Where do you want to drink from your water? From the well. You drink your water from the well. It's no different when we talk about relationships, husband and wife. It's no different when we talk about choices of life that lead to life or lead to death. Drink the good water. Isaiah 55 says, Why do you take your money and spend it on things that can never satisfy you? Why don't you come get bread, God says, from me, it's free. Why don't you come get water that satisfies from me without cost? But instead, we spend our money on everything that can't satisfy you. This is what God is calling us to the path of life. Listen to what he says, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Look, I've um, been married 30 some years. Kathy's not here, so I can say whatever I want. And uh, she'll pop in her head in a minute and tell me, but for now. You hear her over there? Yeah, she's in there. So she's watching us on TV. <laughs> Here's what I know. In the beginning of my marriage, I was a dumb, stupid idiot who walked on the path of death and thought I knew what was best and what would be really enjoyable. And now at 52, I can tell you that life with the wife of my youth is a million times better than I would have ever thought. Um, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Not for, I don't care what you got. I don't care how pretty the Harley, it doesn't make any difference. I ain't trading. I would not give it up because it is so, I don't like it when she's gone. When we was first married, I'd be all happy when she'd leave. Now I realize, you know what? I don't want her to leave. I want her at home. I want to talk to her. I want to be with her. All the things that bothered me in the beginning. Now, why did they bother me in the beginning? Because I was stupid. Because I didn't want to drink water from my own sister. I didn't want to obey the Word of God. I didn't want to do my life the way God's Word said. I wanted to go find my own way. And my way was the road of death. You run far enough down that road and you'll do just what this chapter says. Destroy your family. And it'll all burn. Or, anywhere along that road you can stop. Stop, drop, and roll. Say, hey, man, I'm burning this thing up. I'm done. 
I stop. I repent, Lord. I want to do this your way. And at whatever point you are at, God can redeem and make it amazing. And maybe he's able to repair the relationship that was damaged, or maybe he gives you another one. I'm okay either way, as long as what you're doing is following God's way. And you let God bring his redemption and his work as you follow the path of life. In verse 19, it calls your wife a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Sometime, come and ask me, and I'll tell you what that really means. But I'm not going to tell you now. So you just have to wonder. <laughs> but the next part of the verse should give you some clues. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Hey, that's the, re- that's the relationship God ordained in which sexual satisfaction happens. That's it. You can go do whatever you want any other way, but it's never going to be the way God intended it to be unless you do it God's way. And if you do it God's way, way better. Way better. It is, it is unbelievably incredible to follow God's perfect plan. So look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, And why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Son, don't do this. Don't be uh, distracted by something shiny. Don't run off away from what God has ordained to something God hasn't ordained. Don't get off the path of life to run the path of death. That's what the father is is declaring to his son. Here's the wise. Look at this little trans, transition we have going to conclusion. Why? Why this? Because God knows the best path. Does God know the best path? Look what it says, verse 21. For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. I took some turns. Um, I mean, I know God knows everything, and it probably didn't confuse him, but I, I think he scratched his head like, what are you doing, Jackie? Where are you going? That doesn't lead where you're trying to get to. That doesn't go where you want to go. That's not the path that gets you where you want to arrive. God ponders the path. God knows the way. God's transcendent, holy, above. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So if I want to know which way to go and how to order my life, I don't go to a lawyer. I don't go to somebody in my next door neighbor and ask him what's wise. I go to God. And I look in his word and I say, does his word tell me something about this situation that I'm in and what I should do? But if I do what God's word says, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me money. If I do what God's word says, it's going to cost me time. If I do what God's word says, it's going to cost me comfort. I don't know. There's a million different excuses. If you do it God's way, it goes to life. Every other way, Go someplace else. And I want life. Jesus said, I came to give you life, and life how? Abundantly. And then we do this. I've been following the Lord for 20 years. Where's this abundant life? Well, what road are you on? Are you on the road of death, and you're wondering why you're not finding life? Repent. Get off that road. Experience the best that God has for you. 
Look at verse 22. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast by the cords of sin. Once I get off that path, that sin wraps itself around me, and then it's hard to get loose. It's hard to get loose because you like that, that sweet honey taste. And you start to enjoy the cutting of the double-edged sword. And you say, I'm going to stay here. But the problem is this. The, the feast of the meal that you're eating is you. And little by little, every day, you're dying there. Bit by bit. Piece by piece. Until it's gone. And I see this so many times. People walk in this door totally hollow. Their lives have been sold out for junk, for some other thing that they're chasing, that they're running down thinking is going to satisfy. And it totally, bit by bit, what are they doing? They're destroying themselves day by day, choice by choice. You guys have seen them. They're all over town. What do they need? Jesus. They need, they need to have the willingness to say, I'm caught in sin and I need to get loose. I need to break the bonds of sin. I need to break the chains and get free. Who breaks our chains? Jesus. I can't do it. Jesus does it. We submit to Him and allow Him to set us free. Look at verse 23. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of His great folly, He is led astray. We find ourselves on the path of death. We need to get off. We get off in repentance and confession. And we get on the path that leads to life. Now look guys, in my life, I have been on the wrong road so many times. I think that some of the street signs have my name on it. But the point isn't to beat myself up every time I got, found myself on the wrong road. Oh man, I've done it again. That's the enemy's trick. What do you do when you find yourself on the wrong road? Drop. Man, get on your knees. Say, God, forgive me. I messed up again. Lord, help me. Let me. Give me your strength. Give me your wisdom. Give me your direction. Put your word in my heart so I don't lose my way. And then you get up and you go again. From now until we see his face. That's the journey. And we keep on heading, making the choices that are going to bring us life. Here's what Hebrews says. Last scripture we'll look at tonight. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely or so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking at the goal. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We put our eyes on Jesus and we keep trucking. And I promise you, if you do that, you're going to arrive where you're trying to get to. Keep our eyes on the prize. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to pour through, God, what uh, Proverbs chapter 5 lays out for us. God, I pray that we just hear, Lord, wherever we're at. Maybe our struggle is sexual immorality, and we can see what God's word says about it here in chapter 5. Maybe our sin is something else, the sin that ensnares us, the cords that bind us. But whatever it might be, wherever we might find ourselves, God, it's still we still have an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. Because His grace is greater than all our sin. The scripture says in Romans chapter 6, where sin abounded, your grace superabounded. God is mighty to save, not mighty to almost save. He's able to deliver us even to the uttermost. He can take us from whatever miry clay we find ourselves in and He can place our feet on the rock. But we, we repent to get there. We acknowledge that God's way is the way. We look to Him for strength. We look to Him to to help us on that path laid out before us. We look to Him to button it all up and tie it in a sweet little bow. And in the gap between my performance and where I want to be, the gap there is covered by the grace of God. God's grace. God's willingness to forgive me. God's willingness to say, you have a new day today. Do well. You have a new day now. A new moment. Do well. God, I pray that our heart would be set on keeping our eyes on the prize and running the race laid out before us with endurance as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.